Chapter 36 Teresa had a mental image of a man wearing a Bedouin headdress. Maybe he knew where Jamie was. In her mind, he was sitting on the sofa with her, legs crossed, producing the unflinching gaze he was so perfect at in photos. Her mobile was in her lap. She was trying to read The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. The book had belonged to Barry. She'd been hoping she might be able to immerse herself in the writing. If any story could drag her away from this agonizing time, one about a British hero in a hostile land ought to have been able to do it. But Teresa couldn't finish one paragraph without having to go back to the beginning, almost speaking the words out loud, because otherwise the sentences seemed so looping and meaningless. When her mobile warbled, she yelped as if she'd discovered a spider crawling up her belly. She dropped the book and looked at the display. It was an unknown number, and she knew she had to answer. Her heart flopped loudly in her chest. All the appropriate words dried in her mouth. The same thing had happened nearly an hour before, but the caller had remained silent. She calmed herself before speaking into that silence again. By the time the policewoman walked into the room, Teresa still hadn't managed to say anything coherent. Of all the maddening things to look at, she found the policewoman's unusual dark eyes and finally said, Yes, as quietly as possible, trying to outdo the avalanche of her feelings with a whisper. It's me, the voice said. Oh God, I'm so glad you answered. The familiar voice hesitated. A woman at the other end who didn't know how to begin either, but had felt the need to reach out. I saw it on the news, the voice said. I had to call. Camilla? Teresa held her hand up and shook her head at the policewoman, still standing there. P.C. Emma Cox understood and retreated back to the kitchen where she'd been drinking coffee, reading the morning paper. As soon as she was gone, Teresa began weeping. She explained that it was the crisis making her so fraught. This is awful, Camilla said. Tears trickled down Teresa's cheeks. She couldn't disguise her trembling any more. I know, she agreed. I know. The word awful meant something new to her now. That word used to mean such silly things, Teresa said with a croaky laugh. She wiped her eyes, smudging her makeup, thinking of the worst things that could have happened before the worst thing did. Have you heard anything? There was one answer to that question. She could only shake her head. She saw herself on the sofa, shaking her head, forcing back more tears she didn't want to cry. There had been so much fear, and answering in the negative could only make it worse. It wasn't fair on Jamie to think that way, but everything felt so out of proportion now. Each unfolding hour seemed more agonizing than the last. Teresa's voice trilled like a bird, then steadied with an act of will. No... He's still missing, she said. I wanted to let you know I'm here for you, Camilla said. I know. Everyone's been so good. Teresa was managing to sound flat, as if she'd finally succumbed to hypnosis. No, really, Camilla insisted. I'm sorry I haven't been in touch. That's okay, I understand. The whole thing with David. I know, I know. I feel rotten about it. 
Teresa found herself slipping deeper. It was hopeless trying to attach to anything or anyone anymore, even a long-lost friend like Camilla. Especially a long-lost friend, she thought. Just trying to carry on as normal was difficult enough. She wanted to explain this to Camilla, but couldn't climb out of herself to say anything sensible. The police search for Jamie was into its second day. She could only focus on that, as well as the black eventualities associated with Jamie's disappearance, which felt as if they could so easily crush her faith in life. It was a blackness Teresa had never known before, and couldn't tear herself away from now. Is there anything I can do? Camilla asked. No, that's very sweet of you. Mother's arriving today, and I've got a policewoman staying all the time. More confident for having started to speak again, Teresa's intonations may have become slightly easier to listen to. That's good, Camilla said. Nothing's good, Teresa thought. She found it impossible to judge the value of things. There was nothing that could seem obviously good anymore. The journalists, in their Land Rovers and white vans, camped out of sight, just off the property, had little to do but wait for the worst. A sense of self-preservation welled up during a gap in their conversation, and Teresa asked Camilla to say something else. What should I say? Anything. It's nice to hear your voice. I think I should be with you, Camilla said. But Teresa was too in the dark to agree with that. Her life was being lived in a deep hole guarded by strange creatures. She wasn't sure if friends were allowed to visit. Every snapping, loosely connected moment added to her confusion. She sucked her breath through her teeth. She thought of Camilla as a light bulb from a world where they still had electricity. And what good is that here? she asked herself. If you want, I can be on the next train, Camilla said. Teresa swallowed. She tried to straighten her thoughts. Camilla became less pushy. How's Anya bearing up? she asked. She's gone so quiet. I'm not surprised. I think she's better at this than me, Teresa said. She takes everything a step at a time. You can see her doing it. I'm trying to copy her, but my mind wanders too much. It must be incredibly difficult. It's like a curse, Teresa said. Yes. The whole year has been so evil, and now this. I wish I could help. In Teresa's mind, this last sentiment would become the words for the whole collision affecting her. It's like a curse. She sat up straighter and peered into the room. Between herself and Anya and the team interviewing them, they'd picked over each memory of the May Day Fair. They'd gone over just about everything else that had happened since she and her children came to live in the village. The inquiries with the police had gone on late into the night, and in Teresa's echoing thoughts, each question they went over threw out a different fragment of suspicion. All her friendships were under fire now. How could they think so badly of Rodney? And when they found out how obsessed Jamie had been with Willie Borsuk at the other end of the village, the officers questioning her fell under a silent pall of knowing looks. They wanted to know all about Barry, Teresa remarked suddenly. Not that Camilla would have understood. It was such a destructive process Teresa was going through. These days, 
All of the pieces of her life were dangerous projectiles she was trying to avoid. Camilla was so far behind with everything. All she knew was that Barry had been taken ill and hospitalized. I can imagine, Camilla said. How is he? He's not in hospital anymore. That's good. No, it isn't. Why not? Nobody knows where he is. Oh, my God. Teresa nodded. She had the same thought daily. She recalled one of the policemen trying to stare a hole into her head, as if she should have known what Barry might be capable of since escaping. There were other lines of questioning, even more sinister. The police had wanted to know about strangers. Was there any other man, perhaps in the village, or could it have been around Jamie's school, or at the fair for that matter? They were interested in anyone who could have made an approach that Teresa might have seen without even knowing it. Each set of insinuations multiplied and acted as a corrosive obstacle to the whole ordeal of finding Jamie again. Not that the police had intended to strike the fear of death into her, but they hadn't been able to keep their true thoughts from their eyes either. Even the toughest of them had looked away at times as they conjured the worst scenarios and crept their way through them, reducing Teresa to bits of herself. Camilla, I'm still here. I don't think we can see each other. Of course not. I was just thinking. More tears came. I think it's too difficult now. It's up to you. I think so. I'll do whatever you say. Thank you, I'm really sorry. I just wanted to keep in touch. That's great. You are absolutely sure, though? Yes. If there's anything, I know, anything at all, I'll call, I promise. The conversation went on breaking up as they finished each other's sentences, finding new ways to fend off the conclusion to this conversation. Teresa had arrived at it so abruptly. She didn't like to push a close friend away, but Camilla was from a time that had become too disconnected with this one, a time when there had been a tacit sense that Camilla was the better person and Teresa would always try to follow her. It was a role Teresa didn't think she could play anymore. Her desperation made this insight even more obvious. She had to follow her instincts now. She believed her exertions at the fair had blinded her and caused her son, however indirectly, to be abducted, maybe even murdered, blaming herself. She squeezed her eyes and could only think, I have to survive for Anya's sake. Meanwhile, on the phone, Camilla kept shifting positions and gently pushing to come. Are you really and truly sure you don't want me to be there? Yes, Teresa was sure, and there was something else. She couldn't shrug off the idea that she would be bad luck to anyone close to her. It was necessary to block Camilla's offers of help for her own safety. No matter how anxious Camilla was to be there, it couldn't be permitted. Teresa was only able to end the conversation after she'd taken Camilla's new number, jotting it down on the inside sleeve of the T.E. Lawrence book she didn't think she'd ever get round to reading. For a moment she sat quietly, then opened the flap and studied the black and white photo of the man, Lawrence, trying to be inspired by his knowing gaze. Her tears kept coming. Moments later she heard the creak of the floorboards and P.C. Cox's mildly asthmatic breathing. 
Emma Cox was standing in the doorway, cupping a mug of coffee in both hands. The woman's eyes seemed like pools of darkness, no matter what she was thinking. The rest of her was small and tidy, quite pretty, Teresa thought. A friend? Emma asked. It was a professional question. We haven't seen each other for a while, Teresa explained. Emma walked to the sofa and sat down. She put her arm around Teresa's shoulder. Teresa made an effort not to soften too much. She didn't want to crack and spill any more than she had to. She was aware her remarkably intimate friendship with this policewoman was something they'd both been catapulted into. It had a logic and definition of its own, one that couldn't apply to any other situation. Do you need to know her name? Teresa asked. If it's all the same to you. Teresa nodded. She opened up the seven pillars of wisdom. Camilla Binden. She lives in London. I've got her number here. She'd scribbled Camilla's number next to the photo of the handsome hero. Emma sipped her coffee. It was just after nine in the morning. The search for Jamie would have resumed at first light. Any good? she asked, referring to the book. Teresa shrugged. I can't concentrate. Anya was in bed at that moment, on her stomach, listening to their voices through the floor. She'd heard her mother crying on the phone again. After that, she could hear the policewoman's voice. She liked Emma's smile and concentrated on remembering her face because it produced a warm feeling. It must be her discipline and calm, Anya decided. Emma was the perfect companion for the slow decay they were in. They were all moving in slow motion. That was the essence of Anya's daydream. They were in a capsule that distorted proportions and produced a kind of instant ugliness in everyone. Nobody could look good anymore. In fact, the only way to survive in this capsule was to take down all the mirrors and concentrate on other people's attitudes. That was the warm feeling. Anya closed her eyes, seeing herself traveling through space, trying to steer away from the areas of her brain where the worst faults were. These were the more lethal clouds of ice in the slowness she was in. She'd been up with her mother and the other police officers until three in the morning. After that, reliving the questions and the shock of it, she hadn't been able to drift to sleep until after six. She could remember some of the dreams she'd had. They were all of Jamie. In one, he'd been wounded in a crater on a battlefront somewhere. He was shouting for help. Through thin yellow streaks of poison gas, Anya could see his white flag on the end of a stick. She ordered someone to go to his aid. Nobody wanted to. She looked around and realized there wasn't anyone with her. Moments before, they'd all been in the fields near their new school, all pushing and shoving. Now it was the bleak emptiness of this battlefield, and she and Jamie were the only two left. In a sudden, decisive turn, Anya rolled onto her back, her eyes wide open and stinging. There was a time when she would have welcomed upheaval with open arms. Events that might overturn the brutal regime of her life were to be picked out and worn like a cloak of magic. Thinking about all the previous upheavals, her face froze. 
She'd tried smoking cigarettes and cannabis and drinking vodka and taking pills a boy with spots had given her, always thinking about school as something to give up soon. She'd scared Val Mal half to death and had strained to keep her bad girl going because it had seemed right to push at the edges like that after what had happened to her father. Anya had tried rituals of pain as well, and was presumed by lesser mortals to dabble in the black arts in order to get people to die horrible deaths. Her heart, everyone presumed, was cold and tainted. Now she realized that by wishing it, she had done something terrible to Jamie as well. He'd been pulled out of time, and suddenly there was a real-life panic to contend with. This one was like no other panic Anya had known. It was something that got into the emotions and had a power she feared might never wear off. She wondered if she should kill herself. It would spoil the games of all the ugly ghouls flying about, and that would be good. She thought of asking God what to do. She threw back her duvet and swung her legs to the floor, rising as if she was being chased out of bed by her mother. She got to her knees and put her hands together, not in the least self-conscious about doing something so strange and old-fashioned as praying. It was perfectly timed and perfectly reasoned. If God was there, God would hear. Not that Anya really believed there was a vast creator out there, ready to help her out. But it was worth a shot, she thought. How was she to know what was out there and what wasn't? She hadn't believed in magic either, but that didn't mean it didn't happen. Nor had she believed that the most terrible fates could come to her home as they had now, or that people everywhere would gobble it all up in the news and on the web. It was just too unbelievable to be true. But it was happening. She broke down in tears, crushing her face into her hands and seeing her punishment. <laughs>